How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. We're doing another daytime recording. Yeah. I was too tired last night, and I'm also tired now, but I think I'm less tired. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we've kind of collected our thoughts a little bit. Yes, yes, we did. First of all, let's get into a little bit of what we talked about last time, where we said we were going to do this kind of Lenten booster project. Yeah. How's that going? I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, we actually followed through on that. And, we did. And we're, we're doing that thing. Do you want to kind of walk through the process that we've been doing? That's great. Yeah. So I imagined a cute little bowl or a jar or a hat or something that we would put pieces of paper in, but just did not create space or time to do that. However... I knew we needed a list of things to choose from. So I created 18 things in a list, except I didn't reach 18. I could only come up with 15. And so I need to actually draft a few more. But I had you do the same thing, Mm -hmm. that you would come up with 18 ideas of what we could do. So together, 36, because that's how many days we had left of Lent. And I did not count Sundays, by the way. Okay. Just FYI. So these things were either in the category of fasting or almsgiving or prayer. And then once those were drafted, I we've been taking turns picking a number between 1 and 18 from the other person's list. So we shouldn't yeah. be familiar with the numbers yep. and what they're associated with when we choose that. And so the other person's list gets chosen from uh, daily, and we both do the same thing each day. So, so far, we've had special time, like 30 minutes with one daughter, Mm -hmm. uh, at least for me. I got that. We've had um, no lights after 9 p.m. one night. That was really fun. It was a cool one. So no lights after 9 p.m. We did. It's like only candles. Yeah. And... It was dark. I had a hard time making our coffee for the morning, but it it worked. (laughs) Got it done. It was nice, though. It was cool. Yeah. I appreciated it. After I go over the anxiety of like the open flame candles, Mm -hmm. you know, thankfully the girls were already asleep. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What else have we had? And then we had a day where we added a divine mercy chaplet to whatever Mm -hmm. we were doing. A day where we added a rosary to whatever we were doing. That might be it. I think that could be it. Because we didn't do ours yesterday. We missed it. We forgot. The one that we drew yesterday was to read the first seven chapters, the first third of the the gospel according to St. John. And so we're going to be reading seven chapters of John today. And then also you get your special time with the Yeah, with the oldest oldest, oldest girl today. So we'll make some special time. I got to figure out what we're going to do. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of a cool... It's been nice. Cool thing. It's yeah, it's been neat. And the variety of the three types of extra thing I yeah. think is is good. They're not all fasting. They're not all almsgiving and they're not all prayer. Yeah. So there is kind of a variety. Yeah. And uh, I do kind of look forward to figuring out what we're going to do for the day. You've me been too. really good about coming over and asking me in the morning. Okay, pick a number between one and eighteen. I put a reminder in my phone. That's why you've been so good about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> It's reminded me, and then I remind you, and then I always set a reminder for the end of the day that's specific to the thing. 
so that hopefully we do it. Do you have a reminder to set that reminder? No. However, <laughs> when the, when <laughs> except yes, when no, I mean it's just natural when the Lenten MSG reminder comes up, which is my uh-huh. reminder to like ask the number question. After I clear it, that's my do the next step. Nice momentum okay. of yeah, like yeah, yeah. now I'm gonna schedule the reminder for that specific thing and what time of day it makes sense to do that. And I won't always have to do that, but yeah. So the one I'm not looking forward to is the cold shower day. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's one of mine that I was like, must take a cold shower. Uh-huh. So that'll be fun. Fun's a word to, for it. It'll be fun to react to the difficulty yeah, of I, that. I do not enjoy cold showers. No. Thankfully, the weather has been nicer, so it feels less offensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think it's great. I'm excited to continue. Really glad we did it. And a little bit sad that I didn't put it in like a cute bowl, but you know what? Well, you know what? Plans for next year. Yeah. That's for that's for when I'm really thinking ahead. <laughs> yeah. I think we should add something like this to Advent, too. I know yeah. that, that Advent isn't traditionally like a season of fasting yeah. in the way that Lent is. But I think there's something that we could do with Advent in the, in the you know, vein of like patience and preparation and yeah. waiting and longing and, and those types of feelings. I think we could add things there. So I think that that would be cool. So oh, we'll, like we'll, we'll think about that as the year goes on. For sure. So today we're getting the true meat and potatoes, potatoes, potatoes of what we're getting at Stick today. Stick them in a stew. <laughs> Boil them, mash them. <laughs> <laughs> Stick them in a stew. Uh, is the idea of myth. Yeah. This is an idea that I've wanted to kind of work through for a while now, but I, I hadn't taken the time to really read what Tolkien had. I knew he had talked about it or written about myth and mm-hmm. fairy stories. He has a really long essay called Did you just say fairy stories? Fairy stories. So fa- F A I R Y. That's how we spell it. He would spell it F A E R I E. What does it mean? It's an old English term that it means um okay, so kind of the the sh- you know, fairy tales. Yeah. Right? This idea of these stories that might be true or they might not. Okay. They maybe teach us something, but really what they are is they're an encounter with a reality that you don't understand. Okay. Thank you. So in an age, in a technocratic age where we just seek to understand everything and we like to explain things away by saying, oh, well, it was just, you know, these several factors interacting at once. We've kind of been robbed of our sense of wonder Mm. at the natural world. And so fairy stories, part of what they do, it's not all that they do, but part of what fairy stories do is they remind us that there are truths that we don't have access to. Cool. And that's kind of also the heart of myth as well. Okay. Myths. And I, the term myth, I think it's thrown around and people assume that when you say something is a myth, I think people assume you mean that this actually isn't factual, but there are, there are myths that are true. And there are myths that are factual, and those usually aren't the same thing. True and factual are not not the same in this context. In this context. Uh-huh. In, in the way that we're using these words. One um, 
an article I, I ran across a while ago that was kind of mm -hmm. dealing with some of these themes about like the nature of myth talked about a really good example from the gospels of the prodigal son, mm -hmm. the parable of the prodigal son. This is a person, the, the son, the brother, the father, everybody in that, that story, they're all products of Jesus's imagination. They aren't factual people, mm -hmm. but they are real characters in that we relate to those characters. We can place ourselves in any one of those characters footsteps yeah. in the story. And so they become real. Mm -hmm. Although that person never factually existed, we know for a fact that they exist all over the place. Yeah. So coming kind of coming back to this definition of true versus factual and what is myth and what's its job. Tolkien um, was big on acknowledging, and so was C.S. Lewis. They were buddies. Yeah. Big on acknowledging the fact that myths that are, um, you know, cultural myths that pervaded, you know, in their context, they were looking at European myths, but they also looked at myths from, from other places, other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. but they were especially focused on Greco-Roman myths or on Scandinavian myths or Germanic myths that they, even though, you know, the Norse mythology, for example, isn't a factual cosmology, mm -hmm. there's no Odin in reality, those, those stories were still a, were woven by humanity as a way to understand um, or a way to kind of place ourselves in a cosmos where we recognize we're not in control, we don't understand everything, mm -hmm. and we're part of a larger cosmos. So myth, and St. Paul actually talks about this. He, mm. he delivers a sermon on Mars Hill in Athens, and he, he kind of praises the Greeks for their recognition of unseen gods, and he recognizes what's good in their kind of pagan theology of the ability to recognize a higher power and the ability to, to get after some of these very difficult to pin down things. Yeah. That's a part of the human heart. That's the human condition. God put that there mm -hmm. so that we would long for him. He, you know, he makes us a mirror of himself and mm -hmm. he longs for that connection with us. We long for that connection with him, but without that direct instruction of, of the old Testament and then the gospels and then the new Testament or the rest of the new Testament, we lack kind of the, the, the it's like, it's almost like you've got a compass, yeah. but you don't have a needle. So, yeah. you know, North is a direction on the compass, but without a needle, it's very difficult to tell which direction that is. If you're going you, in the right direction. Right. Yeah. You might be walking in the right direction. Mm -hmm. You might not. Mm -hmm. So Tolkien and, and Lewis both recognized the, the power of myth and its closeness to the human heart mm -hmm. and how it undergirds culture for, for many peoples. It's almost a universal thing that in human culture, myth kind of undergirds our our values and, and many of our systems, yeah. the ways we see the world. Tolkien also kind of openly lamented that England didn't have its own myth, stock of myths in the way that Scandinavia and Germany and mm -hmm. France and, you know, the Greco-Roman world and, and even the Middle East does because of the nature of what England is, what the British Isles is, is the British Isles were kind of constantly dominated and redominated by different successive waves of invaders mm -hmm. that brought with them their own backstories. Mm -hmm. So you have the Normans and you have the, you know, the Saxons and you've got di diff just different groups coming in over time. 
that kind of bring with them their own stuff. And so the most recognizable English myths would be the myths around King Arthur, yeah. Arthurian legend, mm -hmm. which is a distinctly English set of myths, but that's actually from an earlier set of French stories Yeah, brought in because the ruling class of Britain at the time was French. Yeah. French was the language spoken by the king and the court and the nobles. And, and so it just, yeah. now yeah. I am, uh, well educated on this topic because i have seen monty python and the holy grail accurate. so any More questions accurate. you have about yes. that time period i believe i can answer i would for you. love to know the velocity of, of of an unladen swallow oh um it's just um i'll stutter and then i'll get kicked off the, the ledge <laughs> <laughs> there you go African or European? Oh yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> I put my I set I set myself up for failure on that because I haven't seen Monty Python in a good while. But um, I just wanted to make note that is cultural, you know, my cultural education on King Arthur. I, well, like I said, lore accurate. Yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So Tolkien is is kind of saying. While this is now an English myth, there's no myth that's tied to the people and the soil. And I think mm -hmm. that those are the exact words he uses. Wow. Um, or no, no, no. It's not the people and the soil. He says there's no myth that's tied to um, English and the English, meaning the language itself oh, wow. and the people. Okay. That's what, he, that's what mm -hmm. he said. And so that's what the Lord of the Rings is. He said, in part, he was trying to create a mythical backstory for England mm -hmm. and and parts other parts of Europe by extension. It is instructive, though, of our true myth. Mm. And we're going to come back to this idea of true myth. Cool. Within the Lord of the Rings, it is a it is the story of the Third Age, the culmination of the Third Age, the Fourth Age which begins at the end of the book, at the end of Return of the King, mm -hmm. is the beginning of the modern world as we know and have inherited it. So the third age is the elves are leaving, the dwarves have become isolated, men are taking over the world. That's the end of the third age. And so we get that, that story in The Lord of the Rings, and it's mm -hmm. written by, you know, The Lord of the Rings, the red book is supposed to be written by Frodo. And there and back again, yeah, is written by Bilbo, yeah, from their perspectives as they are either recounting it themselves or hearing from the people that were separated from them after after the fact is how it's presented to us, and so it's a window into a world that no longer exists that we don't have access to in the here and now because it's kind of shrouded by you know this this space and time this this kind of sheer veil that we can kind of make out shapes through but but we can't really mm -hmm. access and so it comes to us in the form of myth or story that's illuminating this mythical past but even within that story there is a mythical past that precedes it that the authors that frodo and bilbo don't have access to just yeah. like we don't have access to their world here in the here and now they don't have access to the stories of the first and the second age yeah Many of those stories are fleshed out in the Silmarillion, but Frodo would not have had access to those stories. Yeah. 
And so there are many times on the journey that they're on where Aragorn or Legolas or one of the characters in the one of the, you know, or, or even Gandalf, you know, one of the other characters will mention some great king or they'll mention this this ruined tower, you know, mm-hmm. the Tower of Amonsul, Weathertop, that that used to be this great shining tower. And now it's just ruins. But it's from a bygone era. And the people in the story don't really have access to that mythical past. Hmm. So even the mythical past has a mythical past. I love it. That's so brilliant. It is. And and it creates depth. And and it's almost like if the if there's a tapestry hanging on a wall and the bottom layers of, you know, the the warp and the weft have come apart, the the weaving of the fabric have come yeah. apart, and the final couple threads have decided to lay on the on the floor and all you have access to are those threads laying on the floor mm-hmm. that's kind of what these stories are like of, mm-hmm. you're just peppered here and there with names and locations but you're not given the backstory of why is there a you know why is the witch king of angmar the witch king of angmar mm-hmm. you're not given that information uh why are the barrel whites the barrel whites mm. who they're not in the movies but they're in the books these kind of zombie king characters that if you go lurking near their their caves you just kind of wake up uh, about to be slaughtered. That's mm. what happens to the hobbits. And they're saved by Tom Bombadil, who we also don't get explained at oh, all. Should we do it? I'm going to write that down. A whole episode on Tom Bombadil. Oh, we should absolutely do a whole episode on Tom Bombadil. <laughs> a whole series. Just going to jot just, it down. Just devote a season of this to Tom Bombadil. Carry on. So, yeah, they're given access to the the final layers of the tapestry that are just laying on the floor. They're unorganized. They're not put together. So anyways, that's kind of mirroring our access to Mm -hmm. the mythical past. And by mythical, I don't mean false or stories made up or things like that, because I want to talk about some of the stories of the Old Testament that we don't really have access to, archaeologically speaking. Some of those sites you can go and find archaeological remains of the city of Jericho, you know. Jericho is actually the oldest known inhabited site on earth Wow! in that it was an urban environment before we can find evidence for any other urban environment. So anyways, there are places in the Old Testament where you can peg it to a location Mm -hmm. because there are some texts in the Old Testament that are to be read more as histories. They were more focused on recording some of those historical details Mm -hmm. that would be important to later readers. So those are the ones that are kind of easy to peg, you know, put a push pin in the map. There are some, though, that are kind of so, so deep in the past that the way we get the information through the written texts of especially the Old Testament are so shrouded from us. They they just seem like a foreign, totally foreign place. Mm -hmm. And it kind of mirrors the way that the Lord of the Rings is set up to be the illumination of a mythical past, an immediate mythical past. That also has remnants of an even more mythical past in it. Yeah. And I'm going to kind of compare that to the Gospels are kind of this. It's the stand in here for the Lord of the Rings. It's illuminating this Mm -hmm. this past of, you know, this man, Jesus, who was born. He lived. He did these things. He died and he was resurrected. And it's Mm -hmm. the beginning of the next phase of the story of of. God interacting with humanity and ultimately bringing them back to him. It's it's the beginning of the end, and it's also the end of the beginning of, mm, of that piece. Yeah. It's the culmination of that story. And in a way, it's the culmination of that age. Yeah. It's the end of that age of humanity. 
now the the resurrection has taken place, the redemption has taken place, and now we kind of go forward mm -hmm. in this new age where we don't know how the story ends. But within that story is an understanding of a past that came before that, mm -hmm. that those people at that time living in the, you know, the same time as Jesus did not have access to, and yet they knew of, and we know even less of. Yeah. And, and that is like the antediluvian world. So this, this time before the flood. Mm -hmm. So in Genesis, we're presented with the creation accounts, and then we're presented with a couple of generations of people. Everybody's pretty wicked and doing their own thing. And then the flood. Noah builds a boat. He gets the animals. And there's just this like capsule yeah. of creation that is saved. And it kind of resets the world. Mm -hmm. The world prior to the flood is this, you know, this antediluvian world, this, this world that's closer to creation that we just don't understand. The motivations of humanity are different. Mm -hmm. The lengths of time presented to us are different. Mm -hmm. They just, the world itself is a, feels like an, like another planet in a way. Yeah. That, and part of that is because we only get little snippets of the story. Mm -hmm. The, the verses that contain the story of Noah are very short and a lot has been made of those verses, movies sure. and books and adaptations and all of that. But really, there's not a whole lot there that, other than what you have to extrapolate. That is an important part of the story of Lewis and Tolkien's friendship. Yeah. Lewis came from an atheist background. Mm -hmm. And at some point, he became, as, as a young man, he became a theist. And then at some point, chose Christianity. He was an Anglican. Mm -hmm. Tolkien was instrumental in his conversion to Christianity yeah. because he spent this series of afternoons with, with Lewis kind of talking him through, okay, here's why Christianity is true and ultimately did convince Lewis to, uh, to believe in Christianity. And one of the ways that he, he really got to Lewis was Lewis's love of myth, mm -hmm. these pagan myths, these stories from these cultures around the world. And what Lewis admired in them was the longing for this, for, you know, the stuff beyond the veil yeah. that you can't understand that, that that's innate in the human heart. And what Tolkien convinced him of was that Christianity is, is a myth that is true. Mm. And Matt, you know, you, we've got all these, these myths of, of religions and, and stories and origins and all of those things from around the world. Christianity is the one that's true though. And so it's that, and, and the, I'm not making, um, I'm not putting words in Tolkien's mouth. Those are his words that Christianity is the true myth. Mm. And Lewis said the same thing, this idea that it's humanity grasping at God, just as all of humanity has done throughout all of human history. And just, they happen to actually catch his, the tassels on his garment, mm. right? Just, just like in that story. And so, yeah. They actually grasp on these people actually grasp onto something. God's actually responding to them directly. And so it's it's myth because it's shrouded in mystery and it's it's humanity longing for God. It's not myth because it's not true. Um yeah. it's myth because it is humanity grasping for something it doesn't understand. Yeah. And can't understand. Yeah. And then God comes into the picture and explains the rest of it to them. And that's yeah. the gospels. Yeah. The myth that actually happened. Yeah, yeah. That's how you described it earlier to me, that Tolkien, mm -hmm. Tolkien said that to Lewis. Yeah. And also this piece, 
you said earlier to me about the Noah story is this idea that you described it as threads here, but just this fragment of our memory, Mm, you know, it's not a full catalog, but it is a fragment of our memory, a fragment of our past that we are drawn to. Yeah. Yeah. So the question Lewis, you know, might've had to ask himself was, did it happen? Is it truth truthful? Earlier you talked about that. Yeah. So can you discuss that again? Well, so when you're discerning the faith, if you're discerning Christianity, part of what you have to deal with is, is, are these stories factual? If the stories aren't factual, if Jesus didn't actually rise from the grave, then there's no reason to believe in Christianity. Mm-hmm. So you have to discern whether or not it's factual. But before you get to whether or not it's factual, you you can actually illuminate whether or not it's true in the sense of what we uh, were talking about at the beginning here today of Christianity is both factual and true mm. in so far as the the truths that come out of it are some of the same truths that come out of various pagan myths around the world. There are truths buried mm-hmm. in there. Those same truths come out in Christianity, but what they come out as is they come out a hundred percent true, unadulterated, and also all of the truth. Mm. And so it's not only fragments of the truth and it's not fragments of the truth layered in with untruth with grasping at, at yeah. nothing. It is, it comes out as the whole truth and nothing else but the truth. Were you going to say oh, nothing man, but the truth? Oh man, I was going to say nothing but the truth. <laughs> oh, yeah. So easy. Um, it just slips out there. Yeah. So mm, I really love this set of stories you've told and how you've presented them. Is there anything that you didn't get a chance to say about myth? Uh, something that I mentioned to you the other night when we were kind of spitballing this idea around was that to be the inheritor, to be a part of a culture is to be the inheritor of myth. Mm. And those myths exist kind of in a world that you don't have access to. That's kind of what makes them myths. Is yeah. you know, you're grasping at, at things that you can't actually hold on to. Yeah. And you can be part of that cultural mythos, whether those myths are 5,000 years old or they are 250 years old, mm. because there, there are myths of, okay, in our context, we're, you know, we're living in the United States in the year 2024. There are myths of the American founding that go back, you know, 150 years mm-hmm. and there's some at 250 years and there's some at, you know, almost 400 years mm-hmm. of, of just these like early stories of the American story that we, we tell and we repeat and we mark them in some holidays and mm-hmm. things like that. And, and again, are they true? Like, are there truths present there? How much of it is, is kind of apocryphal of, of it didn't happen, but, but, um, or it didn't happen like that, but sure. something there happened. Yeah. And it's important to remember that for some reason, I think it was, oh man. Oh, I can't remember who said it. It was some author talking about ancient history, and he was kind of specifically referring to the story of the the Spartans and the, yeah. the conflict with the Persians and how Herodotus writes about it. it's it's these 
few Spartans up against millions of Persians. Factually, it wasn't millions of Persians. It was a lot. <laughs> it probably wasn't in the, you know, above six digits. But this author, this historian was saying, sometimes you have to believe ancient history, even if you know it's not true. And what he was getting at, what he was getting at is that the story is that it was millions of people. Mm. And these 300 soldiers kind of stood their ground and stopped them for a few days and let cities behind them evacuate, people get to safety, mm. and ultimately held up the Persians to the point where they could not complete the campaign that they were on. And so the story of the war is one here with these 300 against 2 million and, and all of that. Mm. And the actual numbers didn't matter so much to the people at the time. The, what mattered to the people at the time was these 300 stood up against 2 million. And that was the story they told themselves. And if you're really going to understand the people of the past, you have to understand what they understood. Yeah. And so mm. the actual numbers don't matter that much unless you're trying to come up with a tally of how many footsteps were put on the that plane that yeah. day. So sometimes the the ancient or the mythical or the distant veiled past isn't factual, but that's not actually the thing that matters. Mm. So to be a member of a culture is to inherit a myth is to be the keeper of some kind of flame. Yeah. And your duty as part of that culture is to understand why that flame is worth keeping. Mm. Sometimes it's not about the actual facts on the ground. Yeah. Sometimes it's about what does that story illuminate about the human heart, about sure. our community, about our values, about where those values come from, or some of those other truths that you could pursue in those stories. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, as you said earlier, our human heart is going to long for that, look for that, try to make sense of our life. And I also just had this thought as you were talking through the factual versus true piece, uh, just how much now we have quick access to information. You can go find mm -hmm. it on the internet, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about. And there was a very popular joke a couple years ago of like, you know, there's a difference between the people who will say, oh, I wonder, you know, how many stars are in the sky? And then the, and would just wonder and would just, that would never be answered. Right. And then, <laughs> and then like the, the generation now of like, I will look that up. Why, why wouldn't I? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, um, so I guess I don't have a whole lot to say about that, except I wonder if some of our, um, curiosity is getting snuffed out by just access to information or maybe just our our willingness to tolerate not knowing or our you know comfort level with the unknown is maybe taking over our ability to have awe and wonder and just like appreciation for mm -hmm. wow who knows but wow what a great thing to be a part of i'm not sure but it's something that I had in my mind after you were discussing this piece about like the factual numbers of yeah. people, you know, the Persians yeah. versus, yeah, Spartans. Well, I, I, I think you're right. I think you're onto something that our access to information has changed the way we perceive information. Yeah. I think we do prize knowing accurate yeah. information. Mm -hmm. And I was griping to you about this the other day, actually, this idea that 
our kind of historiography now, the way we view history, the way we tell the story of history is often focused on kind of debunking stories of the past. Oh, sure. Of like, mm -hmm. oh, well, it wasn't really this, you know, it wasn't really this way. It was actually this way. And that's actually kind of lame and whatever <laughs> and silly. And we kind of get a chuckle out of that. Yeah. And cool. Congratulations. You dunked on whoever. The, whether, the, the dead guy. Yeah. You, yeah. Dunked, you dunked on people who aren't here to defend themselves. Yeah. And also you've what you've done is you've made the negative the last word mm -hmm. on whether or not something is valuable whether or not a story or a person or their ideas are valuable to society you've kind of pulled the rug out from under or you've pulled the tablecloth off and mm -hmm. said well none of what they did matters because xyz sure and you don't i'm not suggesting you have to ignore xyz so sure. if, if somebody who did something important was okay, let's say a bad person or a yeah. hypocrite or something like that. I don't think you need to ignore that. Yeah. But I think we focus so much on the telling of the, the real story. The, we're all expose journalists now. And yeah. all we want is the real, the, the story. And we're going we're gonna, to you know, shatter this person's image. And whether it's a person or a group of people or a nation or a story yeah. or a myth or something like that, I think we're hyper-focused on just kind of having the last laugh at somebody else's expense because we have quick access to usually pretty accurate information yeah and we have access to each other's ideas so you can get ideas from somebody who is intimately close to a piece of research or a piece of you know the factual information yeah. that you couldn't get access to before in, in, you know in, mm -hmm. in prior times and so yeah i i don't like our deconstructionist focus on mm -hmm. the truth because it is it's usually not focused on building actual understanding i think it's a lot of times focused on deconstructing things that you perceive as either negative or fake and things that that are factually incorrect shouldn't be given any kind of credence which i think totally misses the mark sure. of what it means to be human i mean i'm gonna end on this note this is the last piece i have to say if i believe in punxsutawney phil telling us heck yeah that spring has come winter's over I mean, that's the last myth. <laughs> <laughs> we as Americans are are mostly united on. We're gonna yeah. listen to that. You know why we're united? <laughs> you know why we're united on Punxsutawney Phil? Yeah, why? Because we all want winter to end. Yeah, good gosh. Yeah. Okay, that was just a silly, but um, uh, but it's a it's a good example. I mean, of, of we we do go grasp for we're gonna for go enjoy a and, myth every now and then yeah it's yeah, fun it's it a is. fun part of being human yeah. try having fun for once <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah stop deconstructing everything yeah just be part of a culture just enjoy your life they shouted is this is this, they walked is out this of the, the room. end of our episode this is the end i think it this is. is it i think i mean <laughs> Talk about deconstructionist. <laughs> I totally deconstructed your beautiful presentation of myth. Um, is there I don't any so. way you would like to zip it up I in a in so. a really academic, amazing way like you did earlier? Nope. Nope. Okay. I don't think it needs to be. I think you can just say re maybe repeat the we can repeat the idea that your duty as a member of a society is to understand what your myths are grasping at. All right. Take it home. There you go. Chew on it.